Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Hello, Bethany. Oh, it's so good to see everyone. And if you're joining us online, we just want to welcome you. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7, John chapter 7. We're in this series called uh, Set Free, and we're going to be looking at John 7 and John 8. And uh, uh, this weekend, we're going to be looking at uh, John uh, chapter 7. And uh, the theme verse for us is from John 8:36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And uh, we're going to be uh, looking at um, John chapter 7, I'm going to try to blast through the whole, uh, as much as I can through that whole chapter, just kind of giving you uh, uh, an overview look of what the Lord Jesus Christ uh, went through. And uh, there's this uh, really high point of John 7 where in the middle of uh, the Festival of Tabernacles, he he uh, stands up on the, the last and greatest day of the festival and Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within. And by this, he meant uh, the spirit. And even though the spirit hadn't been given, he was uh, teaching about it and talking about it. And it's really significant that he says this in the middle of the festival of, uh, of uh, Tabernacle, uh, which uh, is also called in Hebrew, Sakuth. It's also called uh, the festival of the ingathering, the festival of tents, or the festival of booths. And uh, the children of Israel would uh, build build basically tents. They would build uh, uh, little shelters out of uh, branches and they would camp out for seven days. And if you're a kid, this must have been like one of the best festivals ever and everyone would do it. And uh, it was one of the high festivals. And uh, when Jesus says this, you know, this amazing thing at this pinnacle, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Uh, it, it is this example, an illustration, because every day the, the priest would go down to the, the pool Salome with a golden pitcher and get a pitcher of water, a big pitcher of water, and they would have this festival all the way back to the temple. He would be met by another priest who had a great big uh, pitcher of wine, and then they would pour it out as a drink offering, and uh, Jesus is really saying, this is about me. This is the idea of the Holy Spirit being given. This is the idea of salvation that God has provided, and so it is such a beautiful picture, but I want to kind of just read through it and let you know how much struggle it is during that. Many times when we think about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit uh, coming uh, in us and through us, many times we think of it being, you know, quiet and peaceful and calm, and sometimes it is, but many times uh, when the Holy Spirit is moving, uh, the wind on the water, and he's referred to as a wind in John, uh, the idea of, uh, of being like a wind is, is many times on the water it causes waves, and many times when the Holy Spirit is moving, there's lots of uh, stuff that's going on, and sometimes uh, the, in the midst of confusion, the Holy Spirit is working in us. 
Uh, so let me just read these uh, sections. Uh, I have these titles that I actually just took from my uh, version that I'm using. So the first one is uh, Jesus Goes to the Festival of Tabernacles. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish Festival of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure your acts in secret. And since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so as uh, uh, before the Feast of Tabernacle comes, even before that, that festival, um, Jesus is being hunted by the leaders. They want to kill him. And uh, the background is his brothers are kind of goading him to go, and uh, they don't believe in him, but they're saying, go there, you're doing these miracles, go, go to Jerusalem and show yourself. And so Jesus responds, verse 6, Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, Jesus went also, not publicly, but in secret. And now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? And among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. And the Lord Jesus Christ goes secretly. And a lot of people um, uh, that are real black and white struggle with him saying, no, you guys go. I'm not going and then going later. And I want you to know that uh, a lot of people have argued about this. And uh, I I just look at it as... um, that Jesus is very whimsical and many times he doesn't want to do what uh, people are trying to get him to do and you're not going to be able to force him to do just what you want him to do. Uh, he does what he wants and uh, I, I remember many times at holidays, at birthdays, at Christmas, my dad would say, no, we're not doing that or we're not doing this or you're not getting that and then we'd be surprised, you know, and I remember the, one of the saddest times in our life is my dad gave away our donkey. We had this donkey and we loved Sam the donkey and he gave away our donkey and it was just like so sad and we cried and they said goodbye and my parents didn't seem that upset you know but at Christmas day there was two ponies you know and it was awesome and so they had gotten rid of Sam so we could have these ponies and you know it was really cool and uh, I just want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ is whimsical and sometimes in our life there's things that happen and he's whimsical and then he comes through at the end Uh, let's pick up Jesus teaches at the festival verse 14 not until halfway through the festival did Jesus Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. And the Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? He just calls them out. Verse 20, you're demon-possessed, the crowd answer. Who is trying to kill you? And Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. And if you remember, if you've been in the study, John chapter 5, Jesus on the Sabbath healed a paralytic, and they were very upset that he did that during uh, the, uh, uh, the Saturday worship. 
Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So I want you to know a little bit of background. The Lord Jesus Christ is is talking to the people, and there's several different groups in the crowd. There's there's a division over who Jesus is. There's uh, some who are starting to believe. There's some who disbelieve. There's some who hate him. There's some that have doubt. And then there's the Jewish leaders that just want to kill him. At that point, some of the people, verse 25, some of the people began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly. They are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from, and when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he comes from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. The one that sent him is the Father, and it's Father God, and Jesus is the Son. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, When the Messiah comes, he will, perform, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. So now it's getting really serious. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. And Jesus is in the middle of all this confusion. And during the festival, all the people that have come from all over Israel, there's thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus is in this midst of all this pressure and then people confronting him and people not liking him. And then now the the high priests and the Pharisees are wanting to kill him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you cannot find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Uh, In this, uh, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be going back to heaven. I'm going to ascend to my father and you won't be able to follow me. And they completely miss the point. I don't know if you've ever had something where you're talking to someone, they completely miss the point. But uh, this is just like, I, I, I actually feel sorry for Jesus at this point. I mean, he is here at the temple. He's the Messiah. They should be receiving him. And then now they're just like, you know, like not understanding. And there's ones that hate him. And then now there's one that's want to arrest him. So in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, and this is the high point, this is the pinnacle, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would would later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing these words, some of the people said, Surely... 
This man is the, is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And thus the people were divided because of Jesus and someone wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And I want you to know that Jesus even today divides people. And people that really believe in Jesus and see him as the Messiah and know that he's the son of God. Then there's people that really struggle with him. But I, I just love it. In the midst of this, Jesus is standing strong. And then the unbelief of the Jewish leaders. This is the last part of the of the of the chapter. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who had asked them. And they asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own numbers, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. They are divided. They are angry. But even in the midst of the Pharisees hating him, there's one of them, Nicodemus, that believes in Jesus. Remember, Jesus had said to him, you must be born again. So it is just, I just love this whole picture. And I wanted to talk to you uh, as the, the teaching point about uh, what it means to live the spirit-filled life, to actually have this rivers of living water come out of you. So if you look back at verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone, everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit who those who had believed in him were later to receive. So how do you receive the spirit? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Verse 38, whoever believes in me. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And if you're brand new in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. And if you're coming to Christ, you will have this adventure when you give your life to Christ that you will have the Holy Spirit. And there's just something wonderful about it where he says uh, that he is referring to rivers of living water flowing from within them. Now, when he uses these expressions like water flowing within them, and uh, I want you to know that that's an analogy. And there's like three big analogies that the New Testament uses for the Holy Spirit. Uh, Water, wind, and fire. And I love all three of them. I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, The fire refers to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given and the church exploded and it was just grew like crazy and then Christianity began to spread throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, The two that I'm going to talk about is uh, water and wind. And I want you to remember that we have this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that really is the secret sauce of Christianity, to live the Spirit-filled life. So the first one is this water analogy. Whoever believes in me, uh, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he means the Holy Spirit. So in that idea of being spirit-filled and having the spirit in us, uh, the idea of making it practical is that uh, 
the way that we remove any kind of obstruction or dam that's keeping the river from flowing within us uh, uh, is that you confess your sin. And then the second thing is that you release the river that God has given you, and you release it by surrendering to him. And this is a everyday thing that we do, where we say, Holy Spirit, you fill me, you guide me, you lead me. I surrender to you. This day is yours. And the other analogy is the wind analogy. The wind uh, in John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, John 3, 8. And this is the idea that uh, the Holy Spirit is the wind. And so if we were sitting down and talking about spiritual things at a coffee shop, and you asked me about the Spirit-filled life, uh, I would say to you that one of the most important and most exciting thing is having the Holy Spirit in us, and that it is a day-by-day living of being filled. And actually, it can be an hour-by-hour being filled, even a moment-by-moment, where when uh, we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the idea of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is that we confess our sins and then uh, we surrender to his will and we give the day to him. And it's an amazing thing. Um, I uh, was talking to uh, David Nelms. He was here this summer and uh, he was uh, the, the founder of the initiative, uh, Timothy Initiative, that we've been supporting as planning churches in third world countries. And uh, they have this um, discipleship manual And I was looking through it, and I came across an example that I had never seen before. And I just thought, that is so cool, so I want to give it to you. Uh, I I just love this one. Uh, I grew up doing the breathing one from Campus Crusade, where uh, you breathe out, you know, the idea of the idea of breathing out spiritually, you breathe out and say to Jesus, take away all my sin, you know, you confess your sin, and then you breathe in the Holy Spirit. You say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit, guide me and direct me. But this one is the idea of the Holy Spirit being uh, the wind that blows. And uh, anyone born of the Spirit, there is this wind that fills our sails. And the way that you can have your sails filled, this is like another analogy, is the first thing is to untie the sails. Now, I'm not a sailor, okay? I uh, I am a little bit nervous when I get out on the water. Uh, Other people just love it, but I'm always thinking, you know, what if I fall in? Or what if there's a crash? Or what if I, you know, uh, run into a a whale and knocks me over? Uh, I don't know if you guys ever have those feelings, but I always have a little bit of nervousness about that. But when I was in ninth grade, Uh, We lived in San Diego, and my brother and I, and he's five years younger, we would go down to Mission Bay, and this is during the summer, and they had just built this Holiday Inn right on Mission Bay, and they had these, like, dinghy sailboats, little tiny sailboats that had one sail and one rudder, and you could do the rudder, and you could move the sail, and the guy said, uh, hey, kids, and my brother and I went over there, and he said, do you guys want to take this boat out? And, you know, you had to pay money to do it, and I said, well, we don't have any money to do that. He says, well, there's no customers right now. We're we're building up a trade on the weekend. But during the week, if you want it, come down and do it. 
And we said, sure. So I had never done a sailboat in my life. And he said, you know, this is the rudder. You know, you put it this way, you go left, you do this way, you right. He used words like starboard and port, you know, and then he just said left and right, you know, which made me understand. And then you had the sail and you said, wherever the wind is blowing, you do that. And if you're going against the wind, you tack. And I don't know what tack is. Um, but, you know, you said you kind of go back and forth like this. And we had never done it, and so he showed us the first thing you do is you untie this little sail. It wasn't a big sail, a little tiny sail. You untie it, and then you raise it. And as soon as it raised, it filled with wind. And this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and grabbing a hold of the wind where it's going to blow is the idea of sails. And so first of all, you have to untie the sail, and that's confessing your sins or anything that's blocking you from experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then you raise the sail, and that's surrendering to him. That You raise the sail, and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill your, your sail. And then wherever he directs, whatever the wind goes, you follow him, you let him lead, and you will have the adventure of your life. It is the most exciting thing that you can imagine. So I know some of you, and especially if I was having coffee with you, why do so many Christians experience doldrums? I don't know if you know this, but doldrums is actually a technical sailor kind of language. The doldrums is when the wind does not blow. And many times it happens close to the equator where sailboats, back in the days when they had sailboats, they would hit certain waters and the wind would stop blowing and they would just sit and be, you know, uh, under the currents. They would move with the currents, but they had no power because they were just sailboats. And they would be there sometimes for days. There's actual entries where weeks they're just on their boat and, and usually it was hot and they were usually thirsty and they were in the doldrums. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, but C.S. Lewis wrote this wonderful book, you know, uh, uh, about uh, being on the waters, and it's the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And, uh, you know, there's all kind of fantastical characters, and then there's the Penvenson children, and uh, there's their really horrible cousin named Eustace, you know. I don't know if any of you have the name Eustace, but if you do, I'm, I'm sorry you have that name. But uh, Eustace, no, I I shouldn't say that kind of thing, but Eustace is this horrible, selfish, terrible, and he gets changed uh, in the middle of the story. But before he gets changed by uh, the Lord, by Aslan, he is just this selfish, selfish kid, and he's miserable. And they go through this period of the doldrums, and they're so thirsty and so hot, and there's no wind, and he sneaks water. He desires water more than anything else, and he gets caught by Reepicheep. I don't know if you remember who Reepicheep, he's this mouse that talks, and it's really important. He wants honor, and they have a sword fight, and it's really the most wonderful children's book. And I know it sounds fantastic, but the doldrums, now the thing that happens is when you're in the doldrums and you're in the hot equator doldrums, you want water. And sometimes, if I was talking to you and you're talking about your Christian life not being that thrilling and you're kind of bored with your Christian life or you're in a real valley, the doldrums is when there's no wind. 
And as you become thirsty and thirsty and more thirsty, that is a sign that God is working in your life to make you so thirsty for him that this verse comes to mind in the midst of confusion and animosity and all the people. Jesus cries out, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. And he's talking to very, very religious people. This is at the temple. This is during a high, holy festival. This is on the last day of the festival. And it is the most interesting thing. Whenever we go through the doldrums, there is the need for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to give us joy and to take away that thirst. So whether you are a believer, you're a Christian, you know Jesus, or you are a pre-Christian and you need Jesus, there is this thing where the Holy Spirit comes and gives us joy and living waters flows through us. And we don't have it dammed up. We actually have it flowing through us. And all we have to do is say a prayer. And many people don't really have faith to believe this. But all we have to do is ask Jesus to fill us. We ask for confession. We untie the sail. And then we surrender to him. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Quench my thirst. Fill me. You raise the sail. And then wherever the Holy Spirit blows you, you just let him lead your life. And it is the most awesome adventure that ever was. And if you were sitting and having coffee with me and you said to me, Pastor George, do you just do that all the time? You're just filled with the Spirit all the time? You know, if I could put on my pastor hat, I'd say, oh, yes, I am just filled with the Spirit all the time. I am just such a holy man. But my wife, if you talk to her, said, oh, no, he goes through the doldrums. There's times where he gets thirsty and he needs to have a big drink of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I want to encourage all of us, not just you, but also me, is that we have this constant practice of asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. I have this Holy Spirit prayer. And if it's a, a prayer that would help you, if you're in the doldrums or if you're going through uh, things where you're in the valley or you need uh, God uh, to move in you, or maybe you just you need to practice this uh, practice, this spiritual practice, this spiritual discipline of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the Holy Spirit prayer that I have. Dear Father God, have mercy on me, a sinner, in Jesus' name. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sin. I confess my sin and untie the sails. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I surrender my will and raise the sails for you to fill them with your powerful wind. I turn over to you the control of my life. Please fill me, lead me, guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if that prayer you know, echoes in your heart, and you can pray that prayer. And if you are like in an emergency moment, you're like in an emergency moment, like you don't have time to say that long prayer that I just prayed. You can just say, Jesus, I confess my sins. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me right now. I, I surrender. You can just say, untie, I untie the sails. I, I, I lift up, I surrender to you, and I want you to fill the sails with your wind. 
You can make it very quick. Especially if you find yourself at that moment where you're going to lose your temper or you're in the store and you're upset or you're um, having a bad moment or a bad day or you find yourself going right through a red light. You know, you can say it quick. Uh, and there is something about doing that on a regular basis that keeps you close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hey, stand with me and let me uh, just pray with you. And then we're going to sing a last song. Father God, just thank you for each person here. Just thank you. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We do confess our sin. We ask that you would forgive us our sin, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would help us to surrender, that we untie the sails and then uh, lift up the sails. We raise them and you fill it, Holy Spirit. You fill it with your powerful wind. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.